I told you last week I'm about to turn 46. And the older I get, the more I look in that section of the newspaper where people die and they're talked about. It's called the obituary section. Do y'all look in the obituary section a little more than you used to? Maybe you look through it to read the obituary of someone that you knew. Yesterday, uh, one of my neighbors down the street, uh, the man, the 90-year-old man who had been killed by a driver at his mailbox, they auctioned off all of his things yesterday, and I, and I looked back at uh, my notes on, on him and his obituary. <clears throat> Sometimes we look at the obituary because we, we want to see somebody that we knew. Somebody like, sometimes we look at the obituary and it's like this man here. I just randomly pulled him off of being, we don't know who he is. We have no idea. You ever wondered about people when you looked at the obituaries? You ever wondered about people and you wondered about their lives? You wondered, you know, it just tells you briefly. It really doesn't even tell you how they died a lot of times. I want to know how they, how did they die? It might sound a little bit morbid, but how did they live, too? It maybe lists the wife and the, the, the children and maybe, or, 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 you know, those who were the survivors. But how did they really live? What, were, what did their life consist of? I find myself wanting to know things like that. You don't know them. But we wonder about them. And the obituary never tells the whole picture. I look at their pictures, especially the young ones. And you see a teenager or somebody young like me, you know, 40 years old, 46 years old. And you look at them and you think, what happened? What happened? Were they a Christian? Well, I... You know, I'm looking at their picture. Will I see them again someday? Will I, will I recognize them? Hey, I saw your picture. Will I get to say that? I think about the same thing when I hear of a congregation dying too. Before I started preaching here at Fountainhead, I preached here at the Shelby Avenue Church of Christ in, in Nashville, part-time. I preached there only six months. Brother Leo Snow, he had been there ten years, uh, for ten years before me, and he had gotten sick. And so they offered me the full-time, part-time position, if you understand what I mean by that. I, wasn't gonna, I was going to be their full-time preacher, but I was only going to be preacher part-time. I turned them down. It's about that time that I started coming up here to Fountainhead. And I turned them down to come to Fountainhead to be Fountainhead's part-time, full-time preacher. Their building. Seats. 450, 500 people. Their facilities, if you look around the grounds here. Uh, uh, the building goes back extens extensively off of Shelby Avenue onto 17th Street. 
Uh, that's the educational part of their building. It was three floors. They had a basement floor, then the, the first floor, and then the, the second floor. Hey, they had enough classrooms to where you didn't have to combine classes, okay? You could have a first-grade class, a second-grade class, a third-grade class, a fourth-grade class, and then enough space downstairs for six adult classes. But there were none of these there when I was preaching here. When I was there, there was about 40 people. I did some research. Uh, most Tennesseans belong to congregations with fewer than 100 people. And, and a lot of those have less than 50 around our state. During the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s, Shelby Avenue was a, was a large congregation. They were as large as we were. They averaged 180, 190 every Sunday morning. They were vibrant. They were full. No one worships there anymore. Nobody. What happened? You're, you're looking at the picture of an obituary. What happened? Where did they go? What happened to all their teachers and their little children? What, what happened to their elders? What happened to the preacher and his children, his wife? Where did they go? In 2009, it was counted that since 1981, almost 600 congregations of the Lord's Church around the country have closed their doors. What happened? What happened to all those people that live around them that have never had a chance to hear the gospel now? According to the Barna Group, 3,500 to 4,000 churches, there including denominational bodies, close each year. 3,500 to 4,000. According to religioustolerance.org, only 21% of Americans attend religious services each week. So I'm not real good at math, okay? But does that mean that 79% of Americans don't go anywhere? What happened? Where did... Where do they go? What do they do? In the New Testament, we read of the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 16. Paul, by my count, in Romans chapter 16, I may be off, he greets 27 people, calls them by name at the church in Rome. Were there more? I don't know. I don't know if this was the whole congregation of the, of the church in Rome or... or just a few that he's, he's mentioning. 27 people by my count. Today, there is a church in Rome. Paolo Mirabelli is the preacher. 
40 people attend that congregation. 40. In Acts, we read of the Jerusalem congregation. Thousands, multitudes were were their number. Today in Jerusalem, there are three locations that you can attend. 40 members. I'm sure they have lots of visitors. I mean, if I went to the Holy Land, I would visit, wouldn't you? 40 members. A church in Antioch. There's not one. The church at Corinth. Hey, that's in Portland, Tennessee. But there's not one in Corinth, Turkey, where that church would have been. It's not there anymore. It's gone. What happened? Where did the people go? Where did the little children go? Where did the preachers go? What happened to the elders and the deacons? What happened to all their good programs and their, their, their good deeds? What happened to them? Is this going to happen to us? Is that going to happen to us? Is this our lot in life? Will the church at Fountainhead die away? We close our doors. Will the church in Portland as a whole, Sumner County, will it die away and go the way of of Sardis, uh, uh, Laodicea, Shelby Avenue? If you were left writing the obituary for Fountainhead, what would you say? What would you say? The editor of the Gospel Advocate, Gregory Allen Tidwell, wrote in the last issue an answer to the question, where have our children gone? And his answer to where have our children gone His answer is spot on. He said, many of our youth leave the church because they weren't actually converted. And I would add, I add my amen too, brother, and I would add their parents probably weren't either. Brother Tidwell's solution, pretty simple. Effectively teach the gospel. There's the solution. Effectively teach the gospel. And the problems will go away. And we won't worry about the things that we can't control. We'll worry about the things that we can do. We need to stop worrying about things we can't control. We, we, we can sow. And we can work. And God will give the increase, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I want to show you how that we can work, so work, and we can grow together. I want to show you today the top ten ways. The top ten ways the church grew in the first century and how we can grow today. By implementing these ten ways, we can 
bring lost and hurting souls, family and friends to, to Jesus Christ. By implementing these ten ways, we can keep our children from leaving. By implementing these ten ways, we can keep these doors from closing. Okay? As I stated, many times congregations are like people. In 1976, Brother Baxter Barrett Baxter, he said, We must recognize that people and institutions grow old, get tired, become lazy, and die. We see this happening with our own life cycles and the life cycles of all those around us. The same pattern can also be seen in churches. There's a period of vigorous youth and mature, more sedate middle age, followed by a period of decline and ultimate death. Colleges and other institutions also grow old, become lethargic and lose their usefulness. Tragically, this same tendency is also seen in movements. There is a great vigor in the early years, followed by decline and ultimately disappearance. This must not happen to the restoration Movement. Brother Clayton Pepper, he came up with a visual aid to show the cycle of growth and decline in the first century church. But what I'd like to focus on is, is at the top of the screen, the Jerusalem church, the beginning, where the church began. I want to look at what they did right this morning. I want to look at what they did right, the top ten things that they did that we can do today that will really help the church today grow. Of the top ten ways the church grew in the first century, number one, hands down, number one, they obeyed. They did their job. That's what they did. The job they had been commanded to do. The job they had been commissioned to do. In Matthew chapter 28, if you'll turn there, Matthew chapter 28 After the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in verse 16, the eleven disciples, Judas wasn't among them, he was already dead. The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, even then, they had... Seen him with their own eyes. They had heard the words come out of his, of his own mouth and they doubted. As confident as I am about giving my life to Jesus Christ, as confident as I am about that, I can understand why some of you doubt. I can understand that. Some of you are not really converted. This topic is very uncomfortable for you. You would really rather I talk about anything else but what I'm talking about right now. Reminding you of your obligation to Jesus Christ. But Jesus, He didn't let those doubters off the hook then. And He doesn't let you who are not converted off the hook today. He's still trying to reach us today. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know, if you're walking down the street, if you're walking down the street and a police officer says, Hey, hey you, police, stop. 
Do you stop? Well, of course you do. We've all watched cops. We've all watched what happens when you don't stop. Right? You stop. Why? Because he has the authority to make you stop. Jesus here, he has, he says he has all authority. And if Jesus commands you to do something, what should we do? What should we do? He, he, he's telling you he, he, has, he has all the authority. What should, you do? what should you do? Well, whatever he commands. Whatever comes out of his mouth next, right? Verse 19, go therefore, since I've got all the authority, go and make disciples of all nations. We're commanded to go and make disciples. Anyone and everyone. How? Well, Says next, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been baptized? Have you ever been baptized? That's it then, right? If you've been baptized, that's it, right? That's all you got to do, right? That's what, that's what Jesus required, right? No? Oh, yeah, verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. So then teaching is part of the process. The apostles were given this great commission. That's what we call it. The great commission. What's a commission? And why is it great? What is a commission? If you'll notice the words we have read in Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20 so far. They do not have the word great, nor do they have the word commission. All right? Now, my, my heading in my Bible does. But that heading was invented by man. Why? Why? Well, to describe what Jesus said to the apostles. How does Great Commission describe what Jesus said? A commission is an authorization. I'm glad you can't see it. The, my wallet license photo. It's not a very good one. But I have a license to drive. Tennessee, the state of Tennessee can authorize, they have the authority to authorize me a driver's license so I can drive in this country. This is what Jesus is giving the disciples. He's giving them a commission. He's giving them the authorization. He's giving them the license. He's giving them the great license to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Commission is a command, Webster says. It's a command to act in a certain way and do certain things. And what Jesus wanted the apostles to do and the way he wanted them to go about it is what makes this commission, what makes this license, what's makes this, it's what makes this authorization great. The scope of it. The, the, the apostles, they, they first did their job. 
And they taught others to obey this same command, the same command that they had been commanded. And it says in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, that we have got to pay attention or we'll drift away from what we have learned. In verse 3, if we neglect salvation, so great a salvation, how will we escape the just reward for doing so? The Lord taught first, and then He gave the command, then His commission. And His commission was confirmed by those who heard Him. Now, who heard Him? The apostles. What did they teach? Luke's account of the Great Commission in Luke chapter 24, verse 46, it says, Then He said to them, this, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, verse 48, And you, the disciples, are witness of these things. In Mark's account of the Great Commission, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe believe will be condemned. From all of these accounts, the disciples were told to go, make disciples, preach the gospel, baptize and teach. That was their commission. That was their authorization. That was the license that they had been given to do. This is exactly what they did. They did their job. They obeyed what was preached to those on Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 14, Peter commanded those there to heed his words and he proceeded to preach the gospel. Verse 37, the people wanted to know what do we do next? And Peter told them to repent. Verse 38, as it was read this morning before class, repent and be baptized. The apostles made disciples of others who in turn had the same authority. They were told to teach all things that I've commanded you. They did exactly that. They taught these people these things and these other disciples. They, they in turn had the same authority to go and make and preach and baptize and, and teach. One was Philip. And he taught the Samaritans, like all the other Christians in chapter eight of uh, uh, Acts chapter eight verse four, he he preached the word. Acts chapter eight verse five, he preached Christ. Acts chapter eight verse six, they they heeded what was said. Even Simon the sorcerer believed. And in Acts chapter eight verse thirteen, they were baptized. Saul, who became Paul, was made a a disciple the same way. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, he had his sins washed away. Acts 22, verse 16, the gospel was preached to Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, it was preached to Lydia. Acts chapter 16, it was preached to to the Philippian jailer. Acts chapter 16, it was preached to the Corinthians in Acts chapter 18. Every one of them obeyed the gospel and were baptized. The apostles did their job. The job they had been commanded to do. The job they had been authorized to do. The job they had been given license to do. And they passed that perpetual license on down to even us today. Jesus. That's why the church grew. Jesus gave the command and the apostles did it. Number one, they obeyed. It's the number one reason the church grew. Let me tell you something, folks. It's the number one reason why the church 
will grow today. With the instructions of Jesus to go into all the world, he gave a perpetual command, a command that we need to obey. We must effectively teach the gospel. We've got to. We've been commanded to do so. If we don't lock the door, we're going to die. From the church in Jerusalem, notice what happened. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Those who gladly received His word were baptized. Acts chapter 2 verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 4. Many who heard the word believed. The number was 5,000. It starts numbering them. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord. The number of disciples was multiplying. 6 verse 1. The the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Chapter 6 verse 7. When they believed Philip as he preached the thing concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Notice what's happening. Notice what's happening as, as the command is being obeyed. The command that Jesus gave the apostles. Notice what's happening. Both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and and he baptized him. The churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace and they were edified. Many believed on the Lord. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. The word of God grew and multiplied. The word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. A great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed, 14 verse 1. They preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily, 16 verse 5. She and her household were baptized. Immediately he and his family were baptized. And some of them were persuaded. Many of them believed. Some joined him and and believed. Then Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, believed. All those who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. They found a man with a plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. That's who people thought he was, but people were believing. And we desire to hear from you. We desire to hear of you concerning this, this sect that's been spoken against everywhere. This was, this, this, this was being done everywhere. This was being obeyed. People were doing their jobs. The church was growing. The church was multiplying. The church grew then and the church can grow today. The second reason the church grew was because the apostles' priorities were right and they stayed right. On their way to reach the lost, the early church did benevolent acts, not the other way around. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, on their way to teach, helped and healed a lame man. In Acts chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the the hungry were to be fed, but not at the expense of lost souls. Hey, Back to square one. The, the, the primary test was to get the gospel to the lost. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. This they did and taught others to do the same. The third reason. third reason the church grew is because they edified each other. They, they built each other up. And edification 
then and edification today can result in, in multiplication. Notice Acts chapter 9 verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walked in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit they were multiplied. Do you see that? God's kind of edification will result in multiplication. How does God build us up? Well, notice Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How? When we obey. When we obey and do what we've been commanded to do, edification results in multiplication when we do what God asks, us, asks of us. Which brings us to the fourth reason. The, the first century church grew and how the 21st century church can continue to grow. They multiplied their intent. The scattered, Acts chapter 8 verse 4, didn't hide behind false humility. They didn't hide and try to get away. They went everywhere preaching the word, it says. Where could you go? Where could you go? Do you intend each day to bring someone to Jesus? I know a man... He wakes up each morning with the attitude, who can I talk to about the gospel today? Where could you go? I know it's a hard subject. I know this is hard for you to think about. I know it is. I understand how hard it is for you to think about your commitment, Christian, your commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't be the nominal fringe Christian. Live up to your commitments. Where could you go? Where could you go? What could you do? Who could you talk to about the gospel today? The early church grew because they, they multiplied their intent and they also multiplied their opportunity Again, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, Daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. When's the last time? When's the last time that you had somebody in your house and you were teaching them the gospel? When was the, okay, when was the last time that you went to somebody else's house with the intention of teaching them the gospel? The same verse Shows the sixth reason the church grew. They multiplied time. Time is finite. Of course, we understand that. 24 hours are given to us all. We are busy. We're involved in, in, in so many things and we're tired. Can't we save some time for Jesus, though? Can't we save a little bit of that finite time that we have for Jesus? Besides coming to worship, which we're commanded to do. We're commanded to come to worship. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about 
We're, we're commanded to come to worship. But we're also commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're commanded to do that too. Which command is more important of the Lord's? Are they not equally important? Back to Acts chapter 8 verse 4. The early church multiplied the number of people working to reach the lost. That's my intention. If you want to know the tricks that are up my sleeve, if you want to know Chad's tricks that are up his sleeve, it's to make every, each and every one of you Understand your job and go out and do it every day for the Lord. I want to multiply, I want to make everybody here a person that goes out and tells the gospel to their friends, tells the gospel to their family members, tells the gospel to their co-workers, tries to invite them to come to church, tries to invite them to study the gospel and the Bible with them. You want to know my, you want to know my tricks? That's it. I've told you. I'm trying to make every one of you like that. I'm trying to multiply the people that will do the work. I cannot, the elders cannot, your parents cannot make you do this. We can't make you. You have been given a license, Christian. You have been given a license to go, make, baptize, and teach. You do not need any more permission than that given by the Lord who has all authority in heaven and on earth. You don't need my permission. You don't need the elders' permission to do this. You can go and do this because Jesus has given you that permission. He's given you that license if you're a Christian. Some of you... What are you waiting for? I mean, you, you understood this when you became a Christian, didn't you? I, I'm not telling you anything that's new, right? You understood this when you became a Christian that there were some things that were going to be required of you, right? Seventy-nine percent of the world is not in a house of worship this morning. Seventy-nine percent... The field is white. It's ripe for harvest. It's ready. Go. Find somebody. Make a disciple. Don't stop till you find somebody. Don't stop till you find somebody. The eighth reason the early church grew was they used all means necessary. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Some you won't save. Some you will save. Some have turned me off this morning. Some haven't. Think of all the ways there are to reach out to somebody. I know even the visitors, y'all have seen the the um, float that we had in the parade this uh, past week had it in the strawberry parade. One of the one of the one of the newest ways to reach out here at Fountainhead. The whole reason it was built 
was to have a visual of the steps of salvation so that as we went through the parade, people could see the steps to, steps to being saved. To me, that was the purpose of the float. To spread the gospel, to inform, to give folks a chance. It was a big success. You know, Emily, my little Emily, she was, uh, she was riding the float. And uh, in the crowd, there were thousands of people in the crowd. And one of her little classmates saw her on the float. Saw her on the float. And uh, one of you who were passing out VBS flyers, you gave that little girl a flyer about the same time she saw my Emily. And that little girl, you know what she did with it? She took it to her grandmother. Her grandmother has eight grandchildren and they're all coming to VBS. She caught me at the J.W. Wiseman first grade program and told me about Emily and told me about her granddaughter and told me about all her grandchildren and how it worked. Wow. We got out there and we promoted Jesus Christ and it worked. But even if it didn't work, we still obeyed. We still did what God wanted us to do. Remember now, we, we, so we plant and we work the field. It's God that gives the increase. But what if 10 years from now, what if 10 years from now, we're more caught up in how the float looks and winning the float contest and reaching lost souls. What was the original purpose? That brings me to our ninth reason the early church grew. It's because they didn't confuse the means with the ends. What's, What's the purpose of Bible study? What's the purpose of benevolence? What's the purpose of the building, the the programs that we do, the, the preaching? What's the purpose? Are they not to reach the lost? When the Bible says we need to go out and reach the lost, what does it mean? When Bible study gets away from an invitation to our friends and family to study the gospel, when benevolence becomes just another handout, when we fuss about the building, when we whine about the programs, and when the preacher gets away from preaching the gospel, when we become involved in a movement for the movement's sake, we have confused the means with the end. And when the mean becomes the ends, we're done for. Lock the door. Turn out the lights. We must make sure to do like they did in the first century and make the means achieve God's purpose. Everything from the float to the youth activities to benevolence and preaching should focus on evangelism, which is going, making, baptizing, and teaching. Our commission, our license, our authorization. Am I beating a dead horse? 
I'm beating a dead horse. Answer this by answering this question. Do you know how to tell somebody to obey the gospel? Do you? Have you ever tried to obey the command to teach somebody about Jesus Christ? Have you ever tried lately? The tenth way the church grew, and you may have to do this today. The tenth way the church grew, and you may have to do this today, and that's recall, renew, and repent. It's like hitting the reset button on a computer. The Hebrew writer told the people in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, he said, Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. In other words, recall when you went from the dark to the light. Recall when you were saved. Recall when you became a Christian. Recall when you were baptized. Recall that. Feed off that and renew Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All seven churches of Asia, representing the church as a whole, all seven churches of Asia are no more. They're gone. There's nobody there anymore. There's not, the, there's not a preacher. There's no elders. There's no deacons. There's no little children. They're gone. Over and over and over, we read in Revelation, they were told to repent. Over and over, they were told to repent. Sardis was told, Revelation 3 verse 3, Remember what you have received and heard. Remember what you have received and heard. You have heard the command. It says, hold fast and repent. Notice the decline. Notice the Jerusalem church slips into the the Hebrew church. They, They were institutionalized. They were all caught up in all these programs and institutions. And they, they, they were preoccupied like the Ephesians who were preoccupied with all the things of, of the world and which deteriorated. But we can keep hope alive. Will we? Will we? Let me end with a modern parable. It's not new to me, but it fits very well here. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, and I know some of you have heard this before, but it fits here. There's a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred. There was a little life-saving station. They had one boat. And these people risked their lives to go out into the stormy sea to to, to find people who were lost in the the shipwrecks and and bring them back to shore. They did this very effectively. 
And, and some of the people that they saved, some of the people that they saved, uh, and, and other people from the community, they, they liked what, they, what happened. They stayed, and they, they had even a bigger group, and they had a, had a few more boats, and they would, they would go out into the sea, and they would, they would rescue people when there was a big storm and a big shipwreck, and they would bring them back to shore. And the, the little life-saving station that they had became... Well, it just wasn't big enough, they thought. So they, they built a, a bigger one, a nicer one. They built a bigger life-saving saving station and they, they furnished it almost like it was, like it was home. They had, they had all the amenities of home so that when the people came, they would feel comfortable. And they could do their job more effectively. As time went on, the, the, the life-saving station, they... they, they, they started jobbing out the actual life-saving. They, they, they decided that, you know, they were just going to maybe keep, you know, they gave lip service to saving lives. You know, they had lots of classes on saving lives. They had, they had all kinds of, 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 of seminars on saving lives. But they actually hired out people to man the boats and go out into the sea and save the people. And they brought them in. In fact, one day, there was this huge storm. There was a huge storm. And the people that they had hired, they went out into the sea and they brought all kinds of people in. All kinds of, of people. People that they'd never seen before. People that spoke different languages. Uh, they, they brought uh, black people and, and brown people. And they brought, they brought yellow people in. And these people had never seen people like this before. And they really didn't have enough room. And so what they did was they built a a shower house outside the meeting house. They built a shower house out there so that the people could get cleaned up before they came in. After a while, the the life-saving station was split. Part of them said... You know, this life-saving stuff is really hampering our club's style. Well, the other half said, wait a minute, we're still called a life-saving station, are we not? Isn't that our job to go out into the sea and save people? But the other group won out. They said, listen, if you want to go about the business of saving all these people, you need to go find another place. And that's what they did. Went on down the beach. They found another place. They started another life-saving station. People were saved. But you know what? That cycle happened all over again. And that one split. And they moved on down the coast. You know, go, you go to that coast today and there, there, are, there are beautiful clubs all the way down the coast. Monuments to those who were once lifesavers. You go down Shelby Avenue. There were three congregations of the Lord's Church within five blocks of each other. Boom, 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 boom. When I, when I would go and preach there, I would always think to myself, why don't they just merge? You know, that would be the easiest thing. Why don't they just merge? You know, they couldn't figure out what building to use. They thought about it, couldn't figure out what building to use. I called the preacher. He's a, he's a, he's a Vietnam vet too. I called the preacher this past week, doing a little research on this, asking him, not the preacher at Shelby Avenue, not the preacher at, 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 at another congregation was there. There's another congregation right beside Shelby Avenue that closed its doors as well. 
11th Street. I talked to the preacher at 11th Street. I asked him, why? Why did they close their doors? Well, one, they got down to about 20 people and they just couldn't, just couldn't afford to keep the doors open anymore. The other one, uh, their, their preacher died and they, they really couldn't find another preacher. They only had about 20 people too, so they, they closed their doors. Monuments of life-saving stations now sit everywhere across the country to keep it from happening here to keep it from happening at 290 Fountainhead Road we've got to do our job if we do our job if we sow if we work God will cause the increase God will cause the increase you will either help write the obituary of Fountainhead. You'll either help write the obituary of Fountainhead or you'll tell somebody the gospel. If you're not telling somebody the gospel, you're help writing the obituary. Do you know how to tell someone to obey the gospel? Go and make disciples. Can you say that you've obeyed the gospel? If you can't, come right now.